Let's go. Hello, FitFizz friends, and welcome to part four in my mini series on trauma. Today, I'm going to do my best to give you a baseline awareness of trauma responses and trauma bonding. Then next week will be the final episode on trauma healing and therapy. Uh, consider this to be a content warning. That means I'll be mentioning sensitive topics in this episode. We've covered a lot about beginning to understand trauma in the body in the three prior episodes. So if this is your first time listening, welcome. And you'll probably want to go back and listen to this trauma mini series in order to get the most from it. I'm Kelly Wilson, owner of FitFizStudio.com, and I am a certified trainer, nutrition coach, behavior change specialist, autoimmune disease educator, and I've worked in the health and fitness industry for over 25 years. I'm here to help you ditch the gimmicks, find strength through your struggles, give you knowledge for making the smartest choices for your own health, and to remind you to celebrate victory all along the way. The information shared is for educational and informational purposes only. None of the content should be interpreted as an intent to diagnose, treat, cure, heal, or prescribe. All right. Part of what this series on trauma is about, and this episode in particular, is about helping you find ways to look deeper into yourself, into your behaviors, or to understand the behaviors of those who you care about, and if they have been through trauma, and how all of that plays a role in health and being able to have greater health through all of this, all of these different types of knowledge. Plus, it's my hope that You'll see all five of these episodes as a springboard for where to learn even more. Because again, I'm not an expert on trauma, but this is high level stuff. So if it feels like I'm going into detail, I want to remind you this is high level. This is not detailed at all. Uh, but high level stuff that I've learned along the way that I wish someone had made me aware of so much sooner in life because it would have saved me from quite a lot of pain. Okay, overwhelming experiences can affect sensations in our body and how we view our day-to-day -day reality. And trauma is not just something that took place on a certain day. The day that traumatic event took place is just a drop in the bucket for what the entire experience of trauma really is. It affects the brain and hormones, and therefore it affects the entire chemical makeup of the body. The trauma basically makes an imprint on every cell in the body. This is why traumatic events can totally change people for months, decades, or even a lifetime if they're unaware of the healing that can be done to reverse the harmful effects of trauma. Imagine if you dislocated your shoulder. Pretty painful, right? And imagine that you didn't even know it was possible to fix it. So you just imagine you dislocate your shoulder and you just go through life like, well, this is the daily pain I have to deal with now. Every single time I move my arm, I can't sleep. I can't move. I can't lift things. I can't shake anybody's hand or hug anybody without this pain. Living through trauma or a traumatic event is sort of similar. You might think it sounds silly, but I think it's a pretty good analogy. And keep in mind, I'm someone who has experienced my own long list of traumas, and it's likely that you've been through trauma as well. So you'll hear my experiences sprinkled throughout various episodes. Now, when trauma happens, 
and the sympathetic nervous system takes over, which puts the body in a state of emergency where our primitive brain is taking over because it's sensing an emergency. And it's basically saying, hey, body, think quickly. We have to fight, we have to take flight, or we have to freeze. And the mind reorganizes how it's going to manage reality in that moment. This is a protective mechanism in a primitive sense of the word, the primitive brain that I often mention. It's going to do things in a type of survival mode where being rational isn't necessarily an option. So when you hear about things like people lashing out or withdrawing or acting irrationally or any other way of behaving as a result of trauma, that's the primitive brain in action, essentially reacting to an overwhelming amount of emotional pain. And bodies that have been through trauma remain in a hypervigilant state, fight, flight, or freeze. And these are called trauma responses. Trauma responses not only happen immediately during or immediately after an event, but they can continue to happen for a lifetime if the trauma remains unhealed or if the person is unable to find ways to feel safe. And there have been studies done that show brain activity basically looking the same as if trauma was currently happening even years or decades after it initially happened. In order to heal, the body has to relearn safety. And for a traumatized person to relearn safety without professional help, that might be nearly impossible. I'll share a personal reality of mine that might sound ugly, but this is part of my reality. And where I know I also have a lot of healing to do, but this will also demonstrate how money is a factor. So the phrases stay safe and be careful have been triggering phrases for me ever since being sexually assaulted. I never realized that my visceral reactions of disgust when these phrases are said to me were related to sexual assault until I began to understand trauma and trauma responses. So when people say, stay safe, especially now with so much COVID, people seem to turn to this phrase and it, it jumps out at me every single time. People say it without even thinking about it or be careful. My gut reaction, if I'm being truly honest, my gut reaction is that I, tr I want to sarcastically laugh in their face and say, ha, I haven't been safe since 1999, the moment that I opened that front door to a rapist. And I don't say it out loud, but that's what I'm thinking. And people say these phrases all the time, and they mean well. And I probably notice it how often they're said more than other people because I don't see these phrases as thoughtful or caring because they are such a harsh reminder of my reality and how unsafe I have felt for most of my adult life, especially living alone and not being able to attain enough financial stability in my adult life to purchase a security system to help increase my sense of safety. Even very, just very recently, something that happened, it didn't happen since I recorded the last episode. It happened right before I recorded two episodes ago. And I said to myself, oh, I'm not going to tell this story, but here I go. I'm going to tell this story. So <laughs> less than a couple weeks ago, I was sitting in my house, uh, sitting on my laptop working. I didn't have any 
anything going. It was just quiet in the house and the sun was going down. So it was starting to get dark. Everything was silent. And I hear that all of a sudden I hear this very loud and fast footsteps coming at my door and immediate knock, knock, knock. It was really aggressive and really loud, it, much louder than like any like Amazon delivery person or anything like that. And I was immediately pretty terrified. It, it was an immediate trauma response or a PTSD or PTS response by how, how loud and how intense it was and totally unexpected. And to make matters worse, I can't see who's at my front door through any of my windows. I immediately felt sick to my stomach. I felt like I was going to throw up. I had no idea who was there. So I'm looking out the window trying to rationally tell myself that no one was trying to harm me, but it was really loud. And like I said, unexpected. And it felt like forever, although I'm sure it was only a few seconds, but I eventually saw a young guy leave my front steps with a food order and he sprinted to a car that I could see. So he was a delivery guy for some kind of food service. He must have realized that he had the wrong house and maybe he was embarrassed. Maybe that's why he was running. But it took me a pretty long while to calm my nervous system down, uh, even though logically I knew I was safe. But since I'm putting things in terms of fight, flight, or freeze, that was a freeze type of reaction. I wasn't going to open the door, which would have been a fight response, and I didn't have anywhere to run, so I froze as a trauma response because I was, I was genuinely scared. So if you haven't been through trauma yourself, you might have a tendency to label trauma responses as quote-unquote crazy. Now, I've been trying not to use that term because it contributes to the stigma of mental health issues, and I'd rather be part of the solution for mental health stigma by not frivolously using the word crazy, so I'm working on that. But if you can think of a time when a person acted quote-unquote crazy, um, trauma responses are normal, natural reactions based on what the body and brain have endured. But if you're having a trauma response, it's hard to make that stop. Now, I would love for you to think of times when someone in your life might have had a reaction to something that you might have labeled as quote unquote crazy or irrational or dramatic. If someone's reaction to something felt way over the top from your perspective, there's might be a good chance that what it was was actually a trauma response. Something about that interaction made them feel something that coincided with a feeling that their trauma is linked to neurologically. And they might or might not be aware of that. Most likely they're not aware unless they've been through some type of trauma therapy. But that's what's happening. Now, I could tell you hours upon hours of trauma responses that I've had in the past that I look back on with some shame. And ever since I learned that. Those types of reactions had this name called trauma responses. I'm able to be much gentler with myself in my own head as far as that shame goes and to forgive myself for lashing out in certain, certain moments that triggered me. This word, that is an accurate word of, or accurate usage of the word trigger. The word triggered is being thrown around like candy, sadly, now in a joking way. But that is, that is how the word triggered is actually meant to be used. But in those moments, I did 
indeed experienced a triggered reaction in somewhat it could be called an irrational way. But I also don't even think it's fair to call it irrational because it absolutely was rational in the sense that my brain and my body were using my sympathetic nervous system to protect me when it sensed the same state of emergency that it felt when an actual traumatic event was happening. But one could say it was, quote unquote, irrational for those particular circumstances when there was not an actual threat of safety in that later moment. But the brain doesn't know the difference when it's in fight, flight, or freeze. Because again, the primitive part of the brain takes over, not the part of the brain where we use higher cognitive skills like rationalizing. Now, since I mentioned shame, in regards to some of my own trauma responses that I've had, the shame really comes from having hindsight in how I reacted to things and feeling bad that I must have acted in a way that seemed over the top to others. But it's also been many years that have passed that, and so the people who, you know, who were present when I had these trauma responses they've probably forgotten about it or it might be super weird if out of the blue I was like, hey, remember that time when I flipped my shit over that really small thing that wasn't even a big deal? Well, let me explain what happened. And I have actually apologized for some of those moments and people are usually like, what are you talking about? Um, It's fine and I kind of don't even re- really remember what you're talking about. But this is an example of how I, you know, part of my mess, my, my work that I have to do on myself. But here is one very specific example of one of these past trauma responses that I have carried a lot of shame for, and I've replayed it in my head countless times. And it might sound so silly, but I'm putting myself out there but because I think this is a great example of a trauma response. So hi, mom and my youngest sister. If you're listening, you were the ones present for this. So my apologies. You might or might not remember this. I don't know. but. Um, this is going to help any of you who know me probably understand me better. So remember how I told you when the sexual assault happened and the PTSD that stemmed from that and how ever since I have a hard time with people showing up at my door unexpectedly. And so the sexual assault happened in January 1999. I didn't tell my family until eight years later and we've never really talked about it since. Uh, So It happened in January 1999. I graduated from college and I moved into a new apartment. apartment. I think it was the next summer, but it was in the same town. And I was so excited to get out of that apartment where the sexual assault happened. And at that point, I had not been to any type of therapy and my family didn't know about it. And I had convinced myself that I was quote unquote fine. I was ready to start this new chapter of life. Well, I think it was the first time that my mom and my sister were making the drive from my hometown to visit my new apartment, and I clearly remember they were coming that day, and that morning I had gone out to run some errands, I got some new things for the apartment, and there were shopping bags all over my floor and unpacked boxes everywhere. I clearly remember there was a table in the middle of the floor that wasn't even put together yet. So I'm scrambling, getting all these things ready. And I thought I had about another hour before they got there. And I didn't even have a cell phone at that point. Nobody did. So uh, it wasn't like they could just like call or text me and be like, hey, we're showing up. It just wasn't a thing. Um, but I, I was doing my thing, you know, getting ready for them. But I had another hour and I looked up and I saw them walking up the front sidewalk much earlier than I expected. And I immediately became emotional 
for no rational reason. I was overtaken by anxiety and I remember I lashed out. I got mad at them. I basically got mad at them for showing up early. I ruined the mood because they were all so happy and they made a trip just to see me and they thought they were going to surprise me, but I ruined it. I gaslighted them. I twisted it around to be like, how dare you show up early when you knew I was unpacking? But they were just doing something nice. But I had a trauma response to people showing up at my apartment unexpectedly. The apartment that I thought was going to be free and clear of that awful thing that happened at my old apartment. But boom, the feelings bubbled up very quickly. And it was not their fault whatsoever for being early. They were completely innocent. But in the moment, I wanted, to, I wanted to make them feel like it was their fault in the moment because I had no control over the reaction that my body was having. That was PTSD. That was a trauma response. It was my body reacting to what it thought was an emergency to be in fight mode when it thought it had to quickly choose between fighting, flight, or freezing. And again, this is a primitive part of the brain reacting and taking over in a split second to what it connects to as an emergency. So being rational in that moment was not an option. And that assault was still pretty, pretty fresh for me. So mom and Linz, if you're listening, I'm really sorry for that. But I hope that gives you some insight as to why that happened. And this is just one a specific example of what a trauma response might look like. And like I said, I could go on and on with these. But by sharing this, I hope that I can bring about awareness for anything similar that you might have witnessed or experienced yourself. Not to say that trauma responses excuse any bad behavior. Not at all. We each own the responsibility for owning it and healing it. Also, once you know that trauma responses are a thing, For me personally, even just knowing this, it enabled me to look at examples like that one I just gave to realize, oh, okay, so when I start to feel like X, I need to next time step outside of myself in order to find the space to be able to rationalize in that moment and understand that if my instinct is to behave like Y, That's just my past trauma trying to see if there's an emergency. But if I can step outside myself for just long enough in that moment, I do have the power to react like a rational, untraumatized person and to not harm anyone in the process and to be proud of the way I handle things, even if I'm still working to heal emotional pain from the past. And so I keep using these words, fight, flight, and freeze. So I'm going to give you some quick general examples of what each of these trauma responses might look like. So for the fight type of trauma response, that might look like somebody fighting back, defensiveness, yelling, name calling, physical fighting, punching a wall. So those are examples of the fight type of trauma response. Some examples of the flight type of trauma response. People walking away, like if you have an argument or if something intense happens, they walk away or they leave or they hide. That's the flight trauma response. And then we have the freeze trauma response, which is like disconnecting, zoning out, cutting off communication. Those types of things are freezing in a trauma response. 
And this doesn't mean that anytime someone uses these behaviors that it is a trauma response. It just means that it might be. So it's something to look deeper on, whether any of these behaviors happen to you or if you see them in someone you care about. If it's someone you care about, one of the worst things you can say, and I say this from so much experience, one of the worst things you can say is, you need to get help. And I'm going to elaborate on this more in the next episode, but unless you're willing to cover all of the costs of therapy and hold a bottomless pit of emotional space for them before, during, and after all of their therapy sessions, please don't say that because that is a big reason why many people are completely unable to get therapy even if they need it. And it's very upsetting to me how many people fail to realize this. They're just so used to their privilege. Uh, But I think one of the nicest things you can do is that when there is a calmer moment, try having a very gentle, and I emphasize gentle, conversation. You really got to ev- use every bit of you to emphasize that it's coming from a loving place. But maybe start off by saying something like, so I've recently been learning a lot about trauma, and I know that you've been through some really tough and traumatizing things. And you probably carry a lot of emotional pain due to that, especially if no one's ever really acknowledged it. So I learned about this thing called trauma responses. Do you think it's possible that when such and such happened that it brought up some related feelings for you? And take it from there. I think this sort of approach can be much more effective than simply spouting off, you need to get help, which is essentially another way of saying, I am rejecting you, you're broken, I see your pain, but I have no space to accept you. And that's really, really, really hard for anyone to hear, but for a traumatized person to hear that, it's really painful. So those fight, flight, and freeze trauma responses are also not the only types of trauma responses. Some other types of trauma responses are, get ready, these are probably going to all be very familiar, people-pleasing. Befriending people because you're too scared of what they might do if you're not their friend. Appeasing people. Giving in to something out of fear. Raw emotions that might feel unexplainable. Overeating and undereating. And you ready for this last one? This is a big one. Perfectionism. Now, I've mentioned before that perfectionism is fear-based, and it is. But it is also a trauma response. So think about that. You probably know some perfectionists. Maybe you are one. There's a good chance it's a trauma response. If it's, I bet if you dig deep enough, you can find a reason why somebody acts as a perfectionist and how it links to trauma. Also, sometimes if you find that you're in a mode of feeling stuck or unmotivated, there might be some unaddressed trauma that needs to be released or looked at. Now, Let's move on to trauma bonds or trauma bonding. So when people have been through trauma and their nervous system is on overload all of the time and they're constantly trying to quiet the chaos in their head due to the 24-7 fight, flight, or freeze response, their bodies adapt to zoning in very intensely in order to get through life. And 
by having to zone in so intensely just to get through life, that often means that they have no other choice but to let joyful things take a back seat in order to function. This is one really important reason that it's never okay to say to someone things like, just look on the bright side, or things like that, which I discussed in episode 42, which is toxic positivity, because it is one of, uh, that episode, by the way, is one of the most popular episodes, so check that one out. But because of this, sometimes people who've experienced trauma can end up feeling numb to life. So sometimes in order to feel things at all, they return to what they do know, which is unfortunately many times intense negative feelings associated with trauma. The painful feelings are familiar to them. Their brains have not let them feel safe enough for long enough in order to move ahead into a place of happiness. So the only thing they can essentially do is to connect with pain when there is an opportunity to do so. Sometimes this can overlap with relationships, and this is where trauma bonds are created. This is, and it can happen with friendships or romantic relationships. This is one reason why you often hear about people having repeated toxic, harmful, or abusive relationships, especially if both people in the relationship or friendship have been through trauma. They can fuel each other, thus having even deeper trauma bonds. Now, a lot of experts agree that having social and emotional support is the number one factor to avoid becoming overwhelmed by stress and trauma. And this doesn't simply mean being physically present, but it means having reciprocity, that you are seen, you are heard, you are understood, and that you are accepted as you are. So having that kind of space held for you is what creates the feeling of safety. Without it, there is no safety. Without it, people tend to worsen the traumatic feelings that they do carry because their sense of fear and aloneness is reinforced when people don't hear, see, or accept them. And this is a factor why traumatized people often head down roads of bonding with other traumatized people, which is not a healthy thing, but it's just a fact. So trauma bonding. They bond through their shared traumatic experiences, even if it's never spoken about. Because untraumatized people, unempathetic people have probably left them feeling like they were not seen, heard, or accepted. So the only other place that they feel like they can get that is by connecting with other people who are quite familiar with the deep pain of trauma. Now, I certainly don't say any of this from a place of judgment, because in hindsight, I can now see that trauma bonding most definitely happened in some of my past relationships. And it's one big reason why I basically haven't had a relationship for several years, very much by choice. Some people might even call this like a spiritual awakening because I really took about five years of my life, a big, gigantic step backwards outside of myself to look at my life from every angle and really work on making big changes so that I could move past the pain that I felt like I kept repeating. So I was simultaneously dealing with my autoimmune issues, deconstructing from religion, investigating my own emotional pain, healing from my trauma that had been greatly unacknowledged by myself. And basically, it did take me hitting my version of a rock bottom to get outside of myself to say, I really need to deconstruct all of this mess and put it back together in a new, healthy way, and basically love myself for the first time ever. 
And I was so determined to really make that happen. And it wasn't easy. And it was painful. And I lost friends. But for the amount of healing that was done, it was so worth it. And yeah, I do wish I realized all of these avenues of healing much sooner in life. But I literally didn't even know that this stuff existed. I didn't even, these terms were not, I'd never even heard these words before. And you might have heard the phrase, hurt people, hurt people. And it's very true, no matter how you slice it. When this is in the sense of a romantic relationship, this is where things can get very harmful and hurtful and toxic because it's two people who have been through trauma, so they bond over trauma. They remain unhealed because they don't see a need for healing because they think they finally found somebody who quote unquote gets them. And trauma bonding can go even deeper when there's a shared trauma over the same traumatic event. And as long as the mind is busy fending off real or imagined threats, there is no capacity to truly be loving or caring or to feel grounded or to play or to pay attention to the needs of others. The body is simply not built to do both simultaneously. So when two people are allowed the space to reenact old emotional wounds or soothing patterns, unhealthy soothing patterns, that occurred sometime in life, many times those patterns were learned in childhood, things can get really destructive. And they might not even know why, but it's because of trauma. So trauma responses and trauma bonding both tend to become addictive also because for two big reasons. Number one, it's familiar. Remember, safety is not familiar to a traumatized person. Pain is familiar. So they go to what they know, whether it's harmful or not. Again, the primitive brain in action. And number two, why trauma responses and trauma bonding tend to become addictive. It's like the body keeps re-attempting to find safety. So think of it as like bumper cars. The bumper cars don't have a plan. There's no logic. They just keep bumping until there's space. And well, there's never really space. There's just more bumping. So this is kind of similar to how someone repeats trauma if they have no access to healing. They just keep bumping into more of it because the body doesn't know of a route to safety. And that is what I have for you today. Thank you so much to my Patreon supporters, Wendy C., Jaris H., Zach R., Pamela P., Elise V., and to the Pulling Back the Curtain podcast. If you'd like to support the show and get extra discounts in the FitFizz shop, check out the options at patreon.com slash kellywilson. I greatly appreciate every single dollar to help make this show happen. You can still get the FitFizz shirt that says do the work for 25% off through the end of July with the code TRAUMAWORK. Uh, there's a tank top and also a t-shirt. Thank you so much for doing the work on trauma with me by taking the time to listen today. Please share this with someone you care about. And until next time, breathe and be kind to yourself. Celebrate victory.